Hello, my name is Nick Argyris, and this week, wait, do I normally say welcome to You Don't Know Lit? You do. Yeah. Oh, shoot. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argyris, and this week I'm looking for the best dust collector book, which is uh, a theme that we're pretty excited about, considering how terrible it is, but also, I don't, why would I want that? That doesn't even make sense. Like it's a book right. that you a, don't a, a actively book pick up. That collects it does, dust. It's terrible. The um, to help of the me, show is falling apart. Uh, I is. think the idea is that like we are reading the books so they don't have to, or we're reading I the books. I don't think that they're never that's going the to. what we're trying to do. I don't, it's collecting dust. It's like Nick walked into the tomb in Indiana Jones, and there were two pedestals, and each had a dusty book on it. And then Good. Joe and I, our job is to say like, this is a better dusty book. That's mm-hmm. what the book, that's what the, sh- the episode is about. To help me. <laughs> Two high school English teachers, Ian and Joe. <laughs> Hi, Nick. How are you? My name is Joe Holshu. I'm, I'm a high good. school how English teacher. And if you are looking for a dusty, crusty oh, book. The dustier I, the better, baby. <laughs> oh, I have got a dusty one for you. I have brought a book that everyone says they've read, but I don't think anybody actually has. It's called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, written in 1974, and it's the dustiest book on my shelf. (laughs) Or it was until until last week. Joe made it dirty. (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, Hello, mes amis. It's your favorite doctor. That's me, Dr. Me, Ian DeYoung. This week, I brushed the dust off of Marcel Proust valiantly read the first volume of his massive seven-volume novel, Remembrance of Things Past, and I brought it for your listening pleasure. Swan's Way is the book that I brought this week. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely (laughs) enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. (laughs) Who who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. Joe just mentioned Dr. Dre, and I just want to share a brief Dr. Dre health update. I know we've touched on this in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you. In a recent, no, thank you. And in a recent quote, he says, I'm doing great. Oh, well, that's good. You know what? That's a real missed opportunity for him because his name is Dre. And great begins with something that sounds very similar to that. Why should, why doesn't he say I'm doing great with the D at the beginning? Right. I was thinking, do you think he was his own doctor? Right. He says, Almost Hey certainly. guys, the doctor is in and he says, wait, wait, I'm doing wait, fine. Wait, wait, wait. I'm doing, I'm doing great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you are Folks, hemorrhaging every week, blood. You sir, ask yourselves, <laughs> have these three nincompoops, plud- nincompoops plumbed the depth of their own stupidity? And every week <laughs> the new answer is nope. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't hit it yet. Uh, um, how many degrees do we have between us? Uh, I'd like I, to. I wonder that. Uh, I'd like to kick off this episode with something very exciting, and I think ultimately on trend for the litheads, a new segment. A new segment. Oh, now let me set this one up for you folks. And by folks, I mean Ian and Joe. But yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, so now there's been a lot of buzz lately um, in the world. The book world. Yeah. Maybe you guys have heard about this. Have you seen this? Have you heard about this? Have you seen this? The book world? Yeah. Uh, 12 minute books. No. What is this? Wait, are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. Oh, it's taking the nation by storm. 
you're a literature teacher. You should really know this. I shouldn't really bring any information to this show. I am nope. I am on break, which means functionally I have ceased to exist. And I am in the last week of school, which means I have checked out. Yeah, well, we don't take summers off here. So I want you to uh, tune in to 12-minute uh, um, books. But I was... You know, I was watching the segments and reading the articles in the New York Times, and I just thought, like, not good enough. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not going to stop at 12 minutes. We're going to do 12 words. Okay. Um, okay. And um, I'm going to give you 12 words, and you're going to tell me what book it is. Oh, that's a fun game. Ian, I'd like some more positive reinforcement from you. I, I have a question before Ian gives any sort of reinforcement. Is it, okay. Are you going to give us a 12-word summary of the book, or are you going to create mm. like a mosaic with mm. your words, right? Like, Is it going yeah. to be just like a word cloud? At, it's yeah, probably just, our yeah, idea definitely, of choice. Definitely, Joe. Definitely. I feel like you haven't addressed my question. <laughs> this sounds like a delightful challenge of the kind I was not prepared for, which is the best kind of challenge. Are you We're ready, ready to begin? Um, now, yes. now this is just going to dip our toe into this segment. I'm sure we'll, we'll come back to it many, many times and just just beat it to death. But we are very good at holding on to segments long past their <laughs> expiration date. <laughs> All right, are you ready? Yeah, I, yeah. And this is a first come, first serve basis. So it is. This is also a game. Okay, <laughs> got it. All right. Harry boy takes ring to volcano, but I is watching. So birds, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, oh, that was yeah. an easy one, Joe. Yeah, that was, was really that your guess easy. too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I would say, yeah, I guess the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Okay, uh, let, let's do another one. Let's do another one, Joe. Did you also want to do? Yeah, another I'm one? ready. I, I I said Lord of the Rings trilogy, and I was just wondering if Ian was about to say like, well, actually, it's not a trilogy. It's meant to be read as one big. Well, book. actually, it's Joe, I don't often <laughs> say well, actually. So, yeah, actually, all right. Here's our next one. Sick man and son walk for 287 pages. What is the road? Do I have to say in the, in the what is the road? Is correct, question? Joe. Yeah, right. Some of us are showing off <laughs> their time with. Their uncle. These are softballs. Watching Jeopardy. These are softballs. Yep. Yeah. Two, two, two easy ones. Hey, I think it's one to one. Okay. And now, so this next one, this is our last one here. Um, our right. next one here, which is a tiebreaker. So first to buzz. So it's worth triple points. It's worth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's worth 12 points. <laughs> Making the previous rounds unnecessary. Um, this is a, this was tough because I ran out of, I ran, I was one word short. Oh, just stop. Um, man with a weird name sacrifices much to hunt down a big sperm. Moby Dick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you run that summary by me again, please? Yeah. Uh, man with a weird name sacrifices much to hunt down big sperm. Okay. And then so I wanted to say You whale. chose to hit on Captain Ahab's name and not the fact he has a dang wooden leg. Mm. Uh, well, this is my segment. Isn't it? So <laughs> my understanding is there's that book is mostly about whaling. Do you guys know that? Like, you know, you think it's all about metaphors and that, but I read something about it lately <laughs> and, and it's like, no, it's like, like 50% of that book is just like ropes and harpoons and, and rigging sails. Well, isn't it like it's 8, an ex- it's a pages? stupendous book. It's one of my it's favorites. It's a stupendous book. One of his favorites. But are you saying that because it's such a, um, so hard to get through that like you have to appreciate the. It's like who sacrificed more, Ahab or you reading the book? Or me. Do you know what I mean? Um, right. Yeah. No, I don't think there's I don't think there's much like masochistic delight in it. It's just oh, like okay. the story is so good. The story. And gotcha. I judge okay, I judge like really, really solid books on whether 
I have to like sit for a minute after finishing them. Mm. Like whether it's like a punch to the solar plexus and I'm just like, I got to dwell with that one for a bit. And Moby Dick, man, I dwell with that. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm still thinking about it. Yeah. Like yeah. right now, as I'm talking about it, I'm remembering how it feels to read that book and I'm getting goosebumps. So right. Like you don't want to talk about do whale books. anymore. Oh, whale books. Is it regional to call them uh, goose pimples? Is that just a London thing or is that do people in the United States say goose pimples? Well, let's survey. I can speak for northern Wisconsin um, and I will say that I've only ever heard goose bumps. Uh, Ian, mm. can you speak for Nevada? I can speak for southern Illinois, okay. Michigan, Mississippi, Florida, oh, Wisconsin, God. and wow. Nevada, man of the world. Say, can you take just the, the, the western half of the country? Just take a little bit right. more off. I'll just generalize and yeah. say Americans don't say goose pimples. Okay. But here's another really gross version of that one. Goose flesh. <laughs> oh, I've heard goose flesh. Yeah, I've heard really? that. Yeah, that's the worst. Yeah. Uh, well, welcome, everybody, to You Don't Know Lit uh, uh, Weekly, or as we call it, Strongly Podcast. Strongly, Strongly podcast. podcast. Yeah, thank you. Um, that's That was too tight. Um, and, <laughs> and sounded planned. Where uh, every week we take two books that we really like and force them into a theme that um, nobody asked for. And so this week we're going to be <laughs> discussing... Um, what are we doing? Oh, Dusty Books. That's right. Dusty, Dusty Books. books. Um, and uh, we do have some uh, show rules to keep us on track and, and keep you, uh, you know, on the edge of your seat, of course. Um, rule number one, only unavoidable spoilers. All right, gentlemen. Uh, rule yeah. number two, omit needless words, Joe. And Thank rule you. number three, winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. And, and I'll, just, yeah. I'll and, just remind our listeners of the shadow rules. Who do you think you are? <laughs> What gives you the right, and where yeah. do you get off? That's great. And those are unsanctioned uh, additions. Um, but they are thoroughly binding, nonetheless. <laughs> nonetheless. Um, wonderful. Well, I'm excited to see who's going to win today. Um, I, it's two books I've definitely heard of, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited Nick. to hear about their plots and their overt <laughs> messages. <laughs> Nick, can you please put a, a, a just intersperse some sneezing throughout this episode because of the dust? Oh, yeah, oh for sure. of Let course. Me cue up those sound effects on our board, like <laughs> yeah, that board. Instead of um, in instead of like the music, the interstitial music, right? Go in, like go into the teaser for the next week with the sneezing, sneezing. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, yeah, you guys really dived into that. So, uh, Joe, do you want to take thirty seconds and just tell me what your book is about, real quick? And so I can, you know, decide who should go first. Absolutely. Um, Nick, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, written in 1974, is written by a dude named Robert Persing. And he's on a motorcycle trip with his 11-year-old son. Uh, Persing is a former college professor, a current copywriter, and a diagnosed schizophrenic. On the 17-day journey between Minneapolis and San Francisco, he brings us on a road trip novel interspersed with these long interior monologues ranging from like deep philosophical treatises to a whole bunch of stuff. It is the best-selling philosophy book of all time. Despite its title, it's not really about Zen, and it's not really about motorcycles. Uh, so the lit heads are probably wondering why that 30 seconds felt almost like, like a minute years yeah or no eight years. I, I was good it was um, tight i was i, tight I forgot 30. to set a timer uh, 28 seconds a mistake i will not make twice uh ian yes. would you like to go next yes lit heads nick and joe would you be surprised if i told you it's difficult to summarize this book 
We get that a lot. <laughs> uh, in this book, a young man, our narrator, eats a madeleine, which is a kind of cookie, and he has a vivid memory of his childhood. Then he tells us about that childhood in excruciating detail, including his wacky family, <laughs> their wacky neighbors, and a bunch of extremely French gossip, scandal, and anti-Semitism. I brought Swan's Way, the first volume of Marcel Proust's novel, Remembrance of Things Past. Fantastic. Swan's Way. I, so, Ian, I've heard of the Remembrance of Things Past. I've never heard of Swan's Way. Right. Yeah, so like... Proust kind of it's almost like an adjective or not an adjective. It's like a what's that word for the a thing? Noun? It's like it's like <laughs> oh, oh yeah. and uh, a uh, proper adverb, noun. an adverb, an interrobang. How can we help you? It's Ian? an interrobang. Proust is an interrobang. You just like say Proust and you're referring to remembrance of things past. He Proust? wrote other books, but nobody really focuses on those. Everyone talks about this novel as like this seven volume whole. I could not get through the whole thing because right. It's, it's seven volumes, mm-hmm. but okay. I got through the first, um, which is so. Swan's Ian, um, your book had uh, racism, excruciating mm-hmm. detail. It sounds like yep. that's where we need to start today. So fantastic. Um, do you do you wanna do you wanna do you wanna do this? I do. I do. Okay, Let's good. do this. Um, I just want to note, and this is this is um, a comment that I have to make because. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much the only pop culture reference to Marcel Proust that I could come up with. Um, Writing a summary of this of this first book of this gigantic novel reminded me of the Monty Python sketch about the all England summarized Proust competition. It's really, really good. I'm not going to describe that sketch because describing. Oh, Right, Sketch it's it's, is, it's is a losing worst. game. But I will say, Litheads, if you if you don't know this Monty Python sketch, go watch it. It's hilarious. It's really really good. Um, once I've told you about Swan's Way, Litheads, it's going to make a lot more sense. Is that from the show, Ian? Yeah, the Flying Circus. Ooh, that's a deep cut. Yeah, well, I used to watch the Flying Circus while I did dishes, and then I got a dishwasher. Um, so I'm going to talk <laughs> about this book. Right, I'm going to talk ready. about this book. Okay. I think the first the first question that one poses when one approaches dust collector books okay. is why is there so much dust on that thing? Right. That's, right. That'd be my first question. Who's responsible for cleaning it around here? That'd be my first question. Why didn't Nick send me a feather duster? So um, I, I have a couple of reasons why people don't read this book. And I, these are not necessarily criticisms. These are more explanations. Um, the first one is... As I alluded to before, this is a really, really, really long book. Uh, I'm going to oh, give you some numbers. Long? This is sort of like a game. Should the winner... How are we picking a winner? Is it based on how dusty how the dusty. books are? Yeah, or the how, how deserving of the dust they are? Uh, I think we're picking as we usually do, according to our rigid set of rules. Right. Nick, whichever one suits your fancy right, more, yeah, you right. go for that. Whim. Right. Nick's whim. You're right. You're right. Let's go. Swan's Let's way, Let's Nick's whim. All right. Just tell me about the fucking book. Okay. So I got some numbers for you, um, and I'm going to say a number, and you guys tell me what you think the number refers to. That's, that's a classic. It's a classic game. I love here. it. I'll start easy. Seven. Oh, books in the yes. series, just like Harry Potter. Technically, this is one book, one book, one novel. Oh, here it but is. there are seven volumes in this novel. Um, so that's that's a start. That gives you a sense of like what we're up against. For comparison, Jane Eyre has three volumes. Um, uh, and they're much shorter than these. Here's another number. 13. 13. Chapters. 
No. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Thirteen. Um. Thirteen people have read the entire series. <laughs> no, a lot of people have read the entire thing. Um, well, a lot of people say they is, have. Thirteen years is the time that took for Proust to write this. Um, 13 years of novel writing. Uh, it's also the number of years between the first book and the last book's publication, but the last book was published after he died. So um, that seems like a long time, but really given the, no- the, the numbers I'm going to look at next, uh, it's pretty amazing that he managed to crank this all out in, in approximately two years per volume. Okay, here's the bigger number. 2,000 chapters, pages, characters no, in, the, be- in the book. What? <laughs> so, that's ridiculous that's stupid that's, that's, that's just stupid. That's poor it's like a it's like a comic book you got to keep all the canon straight here's another one four thousand two hundred and fifteen now i think pages 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 is correct chapter and this is the english translation uh one last one last number for you one million two hundred sixty seven thousand sixty nine. Oh god uh characters no. like actual <laughs> like character six, like letters nine. like letters Oh, uh, you're you're thinking too granular. This is okay. the number of words in the whole book. It's a That's lot. the same thing. It's a lot of words. Same. A character is a word. Hey, no. Proust, omit Isn't needless it? words. <laughs> Proust. Proust should have omitted needless words. No, omit Nick, needless words. Strunk and Nick, white you would man. say like um, the word the is one word, but it has three characters. T-H-E. Oh. Mm. <laughs> Nick doesn't like it. Yeah, He's go ahead not and buying it. That's fine. Um, I'm just gonna go I'm ahead gonna... and double check my uh, segment that I brought last time. To make sure <laughs> we are actually good there. Yeah, we are good. Oh, you're right, Ian. You know what? I biffed that. I was too much thinking. I was thinking about my 12 word. Yeah, my 12 word spinoff. That's okay. Podcast you know what? You're doing great. That I was gonna start. You should. That's just se- it's seven seconds each episode. <laughs> Uh, and it would putting be the quick wildly quick more successful than this <laughs> <laughs> why would why would someone listen why would someone listen to an hour of us yammering when you can just right. listen to seven seconds of right. nick the omitting the word whale at the end of a book somewhere <laughs> the commercials would be longer than the episodes <laughs> they'd be right between two so it'd be like first three and a half seconds followed by a 30 second break <laughs> You joke, but we may have something there. (laughs) (laughs) This book is extremely detailed. Oh, that sounds excruciating is the word you use. So, yeah, (laughs) I use the word excruciating above. Proust tells you everything. He tells you about smells and tastes and the feel of the wind on his cheek and his impression of the steeple in the village church and the two different ways that he gets to his family's house and what those two different ways symbolize and the reason his uncle doesn't talk to the family anymore and the way two of his relatives try to subtly thank a friend for sending them a case of champagne and the unhappy family life of a composer whose music plays in several scenes and the kind of sparkling water his sickly aunt drinks because she has indigestion and the frequency with which she drinks this sparkling water and the way she talks about the frequency with which she drinks the sparkling water and the way her maid feels about how okay. she talks about right, the frequency right. so with can which I cu- she drinks Can I ask you a question water. here, Ian? Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Okay. Some people say, I hate that amount of detail. Other people say, I love that amount of detail, right? But may I add this? Yeah. I think detail is fine if it serves a purpose and it yeah. helps, helps sure. the story, 
helps the moment. It helps something. It, you know, right, it, like it has mo- a purpose. moves plot, reveals character. Like right, those two. Sure. Yes. Does this yes. do that, or it does. does it not do that? <laughs> it does. So this is kind of my my answer to the question of why someone should read this book. Because, yes, it is extremely detailed. I didn't even get to the part about fornication or the part about oh, how... You sort of started with that. The details. <laughs> this is more details. Everyone in town Joe's right. goes you to a specific shop <laughs> to talk to a specific shopkeeper because he knows all the gossip. Um, there are multiple different dinner parties and other events, and we get excruciating detail on all of those. I think, though, Proust does use these details to have a very specific and deliberate effect. So why should you read this book? My answer is hands down the characters. All 2,000 characters. Characters in this book. And we don't meet all 2,000 of them in volume one. There there are six other volumes to spread them out across. There are a lot of them, but they're so... This is what his attention to detail gets us. We get these really, really well-realized characters. So the aunt that I mentioned, she's like, she's not a one-dimensional stereotype of sick old lady. She's like sick, but also has a sense of humor and is also very kind and is also a huge gossip and is kind of persnickety about what, like this is, I can imagine this person existing. You mentioned Captain Ahab earlier. As much as I wish I could, I can't imagine Captain Ahab actually being a, a, a person because he's so extreme. He's so like strongly drawn. But these characters in this book are just are really, really well realized. And that's directly a result of how careful Proust is with detail and specificity. So like we've got the aunt. He's got his, uh, the father, right? You, the classic stern father. But he introduces the father as kind of stern, but then it turns out the father really loves him and the father is really kind to him. But his his love takes this kind of a specific sort of macho form that he's not willing to necessarily like be demonstrative when other people are looking, but he'll be, be very kind when other people aren't. And it's just much more, much more well, well filled out than your classic overbearing dad. Like, you know, family, family drama. Oh, Everybody's got family drama. Yeah, well, it's it's so. it's like so. Okay, like a lot of times you like if you call somebody a flat character, it's an insult. But even in novels where you look at characters and you're like, oh, that character is really dynamic, or that character is really round. If you actually list the stuff that you know about that character, it might not be that much, right? It's just that you spend time with them and you see their reactions to things and that. It sounds here like. Like it's just fully realized. Like like right. you have like detail in every single character. Like what if nobody had a constraint on time or the amount of words? Let's sure. just really explore these characters. <laughs> well, I think <laughs> so, let's get so, to know the people so, of this town. One of the book's kind of primary interests is memory and the way that we can kind of relive old parts of our lives, we can remember things past, as the title of the whole novel has it, by accessing them involuntarily and how things take different shapes in our memory. And I think this theme of memory and the focus on memory matches really, really well with the details because this is how you try to remember something, right? 
Um, I have so so a big part of this novel is um, early on he takes a bite of a cookie, a Madeline, and it transports him back to uh, a time uh. when he was hanging out with his sickly aunt, the one with the the soda water, the sparkling water. He's hanging out with his sickly aunt, and she takes a cookie and dips it in her lime flower tea and gives it to him, and the flavor imprints on his mind, uh, and like. Later in his life, sounds like drugs. (laughs) It's not drugs. Is this well? Tell me about the author. Is this could this potentially be totally about drugs? Like a stand-in for Mm. drugs? Yeah, like a metaphor. There's plenty of edgy stuff in this in this book. I don't really. He doesn't really get in. He gets into drugs kind of in some of the later volumes, but not not here. But I wanted to ask you guys. So I have I have an an example of this in my life. When I drink a certain kind of beer, I have very vivid memories of a specific delirium. Night. What? Delirium? De- no. Mm. no. Spotted uh, cow. Lining Kugel's Summer Shandy. Oh, oh gross. It's the worst beer ever. <laughs> Who likes well, this Well, I don't stuff? know if it's the worst beer ever. Like, it's oh, probably man. some other Lining Kugel's beer is the worst beer ever. <laughs> This, this week's episode Some brought to you by Some of their other varieties. Um, <laughs> yeah, like Barry Weiss. <laughs> the point oh. of this, the point of this is not for you guys to 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 mock my memories. The point of this what? is to say it might be. I drank this when I was younger, and I had a very very specific memory of a very specific late night after going to Summerfest in Milwaukee and going out for beers with friends afterwards. It was hot. We had just heard a great band, and it's very like when I taste this beer. It the 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 sense memory takes me back there. It's it's uh, a time machine, like it's time machine in a bottle. Right, functionally. Um, and whether or not it's machine. good, I happen to think it's kind of good. But whether or not it's good, um, you know, it's not. It does this. <laughs> it has this effect. And so he's he's playing with this kind of thing. And it's not just wow, isn't it crazy that our minds can do this? He he starts with that cookie dipped in lime lime flower tea. And then from there, he sketches out the character of the ant, the character of the ant's maid, Francoise. Um, he, he sketches out all the family's friends, and it kind of expands from there. Yeah. Uh, stuff that he had forgotten, stuff that he had completely lost until this one sensory experience kind of reignites it. And it's yeah. this whole really rich, uh, fascinating tapestry of, of interesting people. It's, it's, I, I haven't said much about plot because the plot is our main character grows up. Like that's kind of the plot. It's a, I guess you could say it's something like a buildings Roman sort of told through flashbacks and memory, but um, it's the focus is on the stuff that, that he experiences and the way he remembers these experiences. And it's like the, the most, much of the novel takes place in in a single community. Um, You guys know those, those uh, Ian, before, yeah. oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. That's fine. Do you want to tell us what this book is about? Well, I, th- I think Ian has told us what it's about. Like, Wait, no, this guy but, bites. Okay. Yeah. Is, that, was, uh, well, is that it? No, I mean, is there, is there, it, sorry, that came out rude. <laughs> wow, you, well, you do have a tone. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> you have a way to do, of doing that. Yeah. Well, Isn't let me just take more? this uh, opportunity to apologize to everybody on the planet for my tone. <laughs> oh, that's, I've offended in anybody um, Nick has ever met face to face. the way it comes out, I don't really mean it. I'm on your side. Of course. Um, so, Ian, what, what this book is, is about. Is this just a really character exploration or is it is there is there a plot? 
the plot is it plot driven it's i would say it's it's focuses on character rather than plot the plot okay. is primarily that this this young man grows up and uh learns more about uh, social social life uh identity love um sort of sort of the 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 caste system i mean he's in france which has always been big for social class uh whether overthrowing it or maintaining it and <laughs> um and he's sort of like trying to figure out himself he's trying to trying to fig- try he's trying different things on um he falls in love with a girl and then doesn't see her for a long time afterwards is your um, book about life <laughs> life love lust Lost. and things long forgotten to quote a recent episode yeah mm. um it is it's about it's it's like a slice it's a slice of life it's like Ooh. um it sounds like a big slice of life yeah right, it's like, like a, a whole hunk of life like three parts of, of life, life. It's it's seven it's seven cakes of life <laughs> dipped in lime lime flower tea. Now I, I said it was hard to talk about this, and it's just I think that the primary draw and the reason that I the reason that I got through it was the characters and the knowledge that the knowledge that the, the really weird knowledge. There's there's an autobiographical element to this book. Uh, Proust is basing this in part on himself, and the knowledge that like some of the people in this book are based on real people. Some of the interactions are based on real interactions. And you can never quite get over, like, it, it's fiction, but it feels like there's there's some real, real truth to it. I don't like this, this idea that, like, f- that fiction can tell us truth about the world. But, but I think this, there is truth in this fiction, which is really, really strange. When I started this, I did not like it. The first, like, it's got this stream of consciousness style, and the first, like, 35 pages are really, really dense, and he's talking about memory and stuff. I I was fortunate. Somebody, um, the person who had read the book before me, uh, had crossed out all of the parts which were rambling. Oh, and kind all the of, boring parts. That was, That's that nice. Was, that was really helpful, honestly, and mm-hmm. I think it might be useful, Leadheads, if you choose to read this book, get, get a copy like that. Um, but... Yeah, it's it's I'm glad I got into it. Um if you have to choose, it's it's got between my book and Joe's and you do because that's the law. <laughs> that it's is got how some the, entertainment the value. Works. And it's a it's kind of a kind of a trip. You don't realize you're enjoying it until you finish it and you're like, "Wow, I know those people. I got to see, you know, the main the 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 the, the title character Swan. I got to see him fall in love and then fall out of love." Um, I got to see our narrator kind of walk through desire to be a writer, a developing interest in theater, um, uh, his his own first love, um, his relationships with his family. Like you get done, you're like, I I, I feel like a I I better understand humanity after that. In the end, my my cell is this, Nick. Mm. It is a great flex. To be able to say, as Proust says, such and such, because if you can drop a Proust a Proust bomb on somebody, like they're they're not coming back from that. You want to tell someone you read, quote Proust. That's honestly, Ian. That's all I could think about as you were talking. Um, Oh, I feel like I shouldn't even present my book now. Like that's just going to be in Nick's head. This is going to be like you're going to if Litheads, if you read this once and just let that dust collect, or better yet, better yet. Don't let it collect and just yeah. be like, oh, yeah, I read that book like once once a week. 
Yeah. That'd show them. Yeah. It's like a superpower. Like Litheads, if you read this book, you will acquire a superpower that you can whip out whenever you want for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. It's mostly going to make people hate you, but yeah. like it's you'll have moral, it's kind of uh, superiority is what it's called. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Elitism, absolutely. snobbery. All the fun themes that we love to <laughs> toss around here. Now, you guys might not really be familiar with this. Um, mm-hmm. because we are, we have become, I should say, quite wealthy from this podcast. Right. Um, well, we don't like to talk about it to the lit heads, exactly, right? Like they, exactly. they should feel like we're still one of them. Well, exactly. I'm, I mean, I, I'll, I'll go out, I'll go ahead and like say that I am currently recording on the solid gold microphone Yeah, yeah right. on a solid gold. Uh, uh, I'm sitting on a solid gold sh- toilet. It's got diamonds everywhere. My, and my, my mouse, toilet? my mouse on my computer is yeah. just one big diamond. Yeah, <laughs> very painful. <laughs> There's a cord. <laughs> I don't even know what the cord does. Okay, so that's what I thought. But you might not know this, but there is a whole subgenre out there about the mm. rich. I am oh, interested nice. to know what they're writing like about what us. other rich people have going other. on. Right to see yeah. if we're doing it right. So maybe you guys could bring us. Some books about our peers, like how to get rich, or that's up to what you. What it's like no, to be rich. I would just like I, to hear books about the rich. So yeah, I think I think like we know how to get rich. I think it's what it's like to be rich. Sure. Like I think that's got to be it at this yeah. point. Give the lit heads a taste. I'll bring a book. I'll bring a book which has rich in the title. I will bring a listener recommendation, Crazy Rich Asians, which was made into a very excellent film. I'm going to bring that original manual of how to act like a wealthy asshole. Um, It is going to be The Great Gatsby, and it doesn't have rich in the title, but it is written by F. Scott Rich Gerald. No, no, it's not. not. No, it's oh, not. Oh, it doesn't exist. Oh, yeah. Okay, F. Scott Fitzgerald. Oh, it's, it's, Joe. Uh, yeah, I know, I know. Joe, but you Rich silly Gerald goose. pretty good. Ian's always doing stuff like that. He I is get doing to, all sorts of wordplay. All sorts of wordplay. You can't now even keep up with them. Now it's your turn. Just read us the title one more time. All right. Yes. Nick, the title of my book is Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Okay. Sounds terrible. Sounds like a terrible book that just is wow. really. Uh, you know what? I fucking hate this. This is the author being like, I'm going to name it some lame, long thing and maybe it'll catch people's eye. It's like, Does okay, he whatever. The motorcycles make the noise. Zin, zin. Zin, 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 zin. Yeah, yeah, it's actually called Zin, zin, zin in the art of motorcycle <laughs> maintenance. I would also like to point out that Ian brought a seven volume manual with 2,000 characters, <laughs> and you're being mean to me about how long my title is. Your, your way to down, plug Joe. your book is to say, Ian's book is bad. <laughs> Cut it down. Um, uh, okay, Joseph. Yes. Rev up them book engines All and right, blow here. off the dust. That's good. <sighs> All right. Um, so, Nick, my book is, it's hard to talk about. Okay. <laughs> it's like so awesome. many things here. It, but as Ian was talking, I couldn't help but notice how many things it has in common with Ian's book. Like, for example, my book is largely about memory and like remembering things that came in the past. Um, my book is like a book that also really benefits from skipping the long parts where he rambles on. <laughs> Wait a minute. And the, the one key difference is like 
Ian's book is a book that like nobody has read. So you get like this like cool flex if you're the one that actually has read it. My book is a book that I believe in my heart, nobody has read, but everybody pretends that they have. Like this book It's like that Mark Twain, like that Mark Twain quote. Uh, A classic is a book everyone wants to have read and nobody wants to actually read. Okay, so- this book, Nick, I, I I know you say you haven't heard of it. This book is like the top selling philosophy book of all time, right? Like this book is a bona fide, genuine classic. Millions and millions and millions of copies of this have sold, right? Mm. But when you talk to people and you enter into a conversation about this book, it is very, very clear that almost everybody who talks to you about it talks about what they think this book is about based on the title, right? Like when you think of that title, well, I guess- Can I set the path yeah, here for the Litheads? Please. Hey, hey pl- plot, our, plot our course. Because Litheads, I don't know if you're familiar with this book um, or not. Uh, I am not, as you may have guessed. Um, as you may have guessed. But, um, so I have no idea what Joe's about to say, but let me just let me just set the path here with a one-star review. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. This is from Alan Cushman. Uh, mm-hmm. Three months ago, Alan. this one's pretty fresh. Uh, one nice. star, um, full one star. full name. One of the worst books I've ever read. I am a Ooh. Buddhist. <laughs> no. So, <laughs> what is happening in your book, Joe? Oh, okay. <laughs> and Does he so take is every it, opportunity to ostracize Buddhists? Are we us? Are we in alienating Buddhists this week? We are. Yeah, I don't know if we're alien. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Um, <laughs> no. We okay in the forward to his book. Um, person has oh, an no, introduction. fuck it. I gotta read this other one. Sorry, if you oh, god, Dave. I want to talk about Buddhists. Nah, get over it. Uh, this book has little to do with motorcycles, <laughs> it, is un- <laughs> it is unreadable and a perfect illustration on why some people shouldn't be allowed to buy motorcycles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So, both of those people, this is a perfect example of what I mean when I say nobody has read this book. In the foreword to his book. So you read the title. Okay, this book is about Zen Buddhism. This book is about motorcycle maintenance. The last line in the foreword is Robert Persing saying, hey, if you're looking for a book about Zen Buddhism, that's really not what this is. Like this book has mm. almost nothing to do with like the the like that canon of work or that, that body of work that is Zen Buddhism. It also, the last line, is not very factual about motorcycles, he says. <laughs> okay. Interesting. So is this like a really good faith? Like, listen, here's what you're in for. If you want to keep reading, if I've, if I've won you over with this introduction, I'll, I've won you, let's roll. Or is it him being like kind of snide, kind of, kind of winking and saying, well, you picked up this book and it actually turns out gotcha, I didn't write about Buddhism yeah. or motorcycles. I guess you'll just have to read oh, it and find no. out what no, it's no, actually no. about. This book is like, it's pretty much in good faith. I do think that like when he published this in 1974 and it really did like become like an instant success, um, he he writes a story in the afterward where he says, like, I was rejected. We hear this story from authors all the time. Mm-hmm. He says, I was rejected by 120 publishers for this book. And the guy that finally accepted it, accepted it, gave me a $3,000 check, which was like the the standard contract at the time, and told me straight up, you will never get another penny for this book because nobody is going to read it. 
right? But wow. I feel like I have to publish You this. know what's fucking hilarious is all these people in like the book and movie industry saying, you'll never get this done. And then it's like the greatest thing ever. It's like, <laughs> who the fuck, who are these people saying? Just the no, the naysayers of the world just saying, they ain't never going to be anything. Fuck you. Hey, everybody out there, no matter what industry you're in, fuck you if you're saying stuff like that to people. <laughs> but... God, okay. I hate shit here, like that. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. There are so many people who send out those who send out those like it'll never make it anything, and then it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, like, that like, that publisher like, is probably like, look, I was right the other two hundred and fifty times I told that to Pucks. That yeah. We like like somebody gets to check for three thousand dollars and they're like, oh sweet, I'll prove him wrong, and then they don't, and it's like, well, right. at least I had three thousand dollars. That's nice. Yeah, but doesn't that just prove that they don't fucking know? Well, I think, okay. Yes, I, I think I think maybe it proves that they don't know. But I think like the other thing that it shows is like, you just never know, right? Like you never know what's going to strike a chord. And if you've worked in publishing for a while, like it's like, oh, you know what sells is, you know, sexy vampire books. And you know what sells is romance. And you know what sells is true crime, right? Like you have these trends that you hit. But then every once in a while, something like this comes around, along, like this weirdo book about a road trip that this schizophrenic takes with his son, um, where he spends most of the time with like, kind of deep philosophical musings and the and like the the culture at the time like the people at the time are going yes this is exactly what we needed right it now. works it works for whatever freaking reason it works okay so you, t- you teased that what's the book about joe let me tell you what the book's about because i think i can sum up the little bit of it that there is to a plot very quickly robert persing with his 11-year-old son, gets on a motorcycle in Minneapolis where he lives and spends 17 days driving to San Francisco. Along the way, we get the sense that he has been here before, but he doesn't really remember it. Uh, And let me explain that for a second. We're introduced to this character, um, a a character that we never see in, in person, right? We only get in memory. And this character's name is Phaedrius, which is just like this weird old Greek name. But it becomes very clear that Robert Persing, the guy who's driving this motorcycle, the guy who's writing this book, has a past life which he no longer remembers because he has undergone intensive electroshock therapy and has Fine. like forgotten <laughs> massive swaths of his life. Classic. So this book is him going to San Francisco with his son and kind of slowly remembering this past person that he used to be. And in some cases, like rejecting that guy. And in some cases, like kind of accepting that guy. That's the plot. Like, like that's the plot. Okay. It is interspersed. I really cannot like, lit heads. I want to prepare all of you here. It like that story is spread out over 300 pages. <laughs> almost okay? nothing to do with what you'll read. <laughs> almost nothing to do with what you will read, right? The vast majority of this book is him going, hey, when I was driving today. Remember that in, one time? Uh, yeah, that when I was driving today in Idaho, in Idaho, I really started to think about quality and what quality means. And I started to think about what makes a good knife. And then he gives you like 20 pages. I'm like, what makes a good knife? And you're thinking like, oh, it's got a good blade and it's got a good weight. No, 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 no. no. He talks about the knifiness 
of the knife. Like the, right. it, like if you like the intrinsic knifeness of it. Yeah. It can be dense at times. Is it, what's the, I'm so confused on the, on the genre. Like, yeah. is it fiction or what? Okay. Nope. So he, he, um, it's a mechanic. It is, it's a mechanical it's nonfiction. Oh, it's it a mechanical a, manual. Yeah. Nope. It's yes. more right. like it's how to actually craft a good knife for your motorcycle. It is, it's a nonfiction book. Um, that he says like, well, certain pieces of it are gussied up for rhetorical purposes is what is how he describes it in, uh, again, the foreword. Um, it, it, but it's a nonfiction book about an actual motorcycle journey that hey actually happened with his son. And then he uses that as a vehicle in, w- in order to discuss his philosophical ideas. Guys, can I share a very Zen thought with you? Mm-hmm. Please. I've been waiting and Joe hasn't dished a single mind no, I've given yet. you very little Zen. There's no such thing as nonfiction. Gong. Okay. That's pretty good. Oh, I good. like that. Gong. I don't like the admiration I feel for that. Gong. It's icky. Yeah. Well. I feel like, have you been sitting on that for a while or is that off the dome? It's off my mo- dome, as you <laughs> said. You're losing it, Nick. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> when you say it's off my dome, you're dome. starting to lose the cool. Dome. <laughs> Hey Joe, what yep. makes a great knife? Oh, is it is it patience and um, uh, let's see what makes a good knife: patience and a handle, metal, <laughs> and a sharp sharp end, sharpness. I feel like a knife that didn't have a handle would be just pain. Does he get into that, Joe? Joe, what? Yes. How many subjects does this guy just like run through for twenty pages at a time? Is it just uh, a meandering of his thoughts? Also, what gives this person uh, the qualifications what, to talk what about? What gives you uh, the right one of the shadow rules? Yeah, zen- zenness. Okay. Yeah. Who is this I, I, guy, Joe? I want to know Joe, more about the author. Once you've answered the the topics question, I really want to hone in, in on that last that last question. So, right, what gives this guy the right? Yeah. Okay. Okay, I, I'm going to try to tackle something in as lucid of a way as I possibly can. And I'm going to try to make this like short and engaging. There's a big philosophical idea at the middle of this book. And that idea is what is quality? And when he talks about quality, that's the word that he uses. It comes up 10,000 times in this book. When he talks about quality, he says, look, if you look at a knife, right? Let's go back to knives you know if it's a good knife or a bad knife, right? Like if you use it for a little while, you can almost instantly tell if it's a good knife or a bad knife. He says, that's true of everything around you. When you look at a window, you can tell if it's a good window or a bad window. When you look at a lake, you can tell if it's a good lake or a bad lake, right? But what is it that we're actually talking about when we talk about good or bad, right? Like what is it when we talk about the quality here? And he spends a huge amount of this book discussing what is quality. Um, what he comes away with is that there is this thing in the universe of a fundamental force of the universe, like gravity called quality. And certain things, uh, have it and certain things don't. Hmm. It sounds really stupid. Okay. Yep. (laughs) Is he saying things that are manufactured 
or things that exist without human touch. Do you know Both. what I mean? Yep. So so a tree can be a quality tree. Okay. So he but does a chair get into like can be okay. a quality chair. Yes. What about podcasts? Yeah, absolutely. Every, <laughs> everything say? has quality. Is he still with us? Could he endorse us? He is not with us, and he could and does yes. obviously endorse us. This is my uh, kind since of twenty seventeen. Robert Persing, big fan of the show since twenty seventeen. Yeah, Robert Persing loves you. Don't know lit. You heard it here. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely first. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh. Joe, I I, I want to come back to that question. Ian would Nick like asked. to rip your book apart now. No, no, please. No, I'm just curious. Okay. So, like, this really sounds like we have to take a lot on faith. Mm-hmm. We have to, like, he, he tells us at the end of his introduction, the, this, the title, the title is misleading. And then he, he really, like, there's not a lot of plot. There's not mm-hmm. apparently a lot of sort of disciplined philosophical work. It's more sort of philosophical reflection, which is fine. But how does he like in, in, in rhetorical studies, we'd say, how does he build his ethos? How does right, he build like, his who credibility? Who does he think he like, is? What gives him the why, right? Why do we what keep gives reading? Him the right? Who does he think he is? Okay. So he gets into his background a little bit. Um, he has this like super accomplished youth. Like he talks about like well, I don't want to get into it because you're just going to be mean to him. But he like talks about like passing uh-huh. these IQ tests with like 170. He talks about being like this super young admit to like his university, th- like at like 15 years old, things like that. He actually is an English professor. Like he studies uh, rhetoric. Like he becomes a professor of rhetoric who becomes very interested in philosophy and moves over to the philosophy department. Now, is that enough to like, 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 is it, oh, this guy's a super eminent professor? Well, no, not really. Like he's a professor for a little while. He uh, has a psychotic break and like leaves teaching altogether and becomes like a guy who writes technical manuals, right? Like that's, that's kind of his, his little journey. So I think what he's asking you to do here is he says, look, I've got these ideas. They're kind of wacky ideas. They're not ideas that are taught in any philosophy department on the planet, but I think there's really something here. Let me give them to you and like, and then you decide like, hey, do you okay. see what I'm saying? Do you I see think we're where being, I'm coming from? Right. I think we're being too critical. So uh, the world is full of people who are making stuff up. So um, sure. That's, all, that's half of what that's, it is here. Well, it's more than half. And <laughs> <laughs> it's nearly 100%. Uh, so um, except us. Except us, litheads. We are authorities. Litheads. <laughs> Lit- litheads. Don't touch that dial. So, Joseph. Yes. Uh, did you like this book? Okay. One of my Great favorite questions question. asked, Joe. Yep. Ian, Ian, another parallel that we have where Ian says, I'm not sure I enjoyed this book until I was finished with it. I literally had the exact same experience. I've read this book, or I've tried to read this book, like many people, a couple of times before, Right. This past week, I read it through successfully, partially because it was homework, right? But I got to the same point that I've gotten to in the past, where I read it for a while, read it for a while, and I just thought, oh my God, I like, I can't follow these things. Like, they're right. too in the weeds, they're too dense, right? Our one star um, review from Dave's, t- it took him 30 years, Litheads. So, I mean, <laughs> I, can you imagine the, his review went on? He said 30 years. The, the level of dust must be immeasurable. It's, it must Kate. be thick. Okay, but I got to a certain point and it wasn't until I sat down and did my notes for this episode where I thought, oh, 
I did like I, it. Like this wasn't a page turner, but I did like it. Like I got something out of this and I do think like he had some cool things to say about intrinsic inherent qualities and what leads to something being like good, right? What leads to something being of quality? What? Yeah. I mean, so what is this? Uh, is Do you walk away from this book with like an appreciation for life? Or, or, or beauty? Like or, does he, does he beauty? put forward an idea of the world, which is like his own idiosyncratic idea? Or is this like, oh yeah, there is something universal. Does he, does yeah. he really tap into anything? Does he? Legit. I th- okay. I think the reason that this book ignited so many imaginations is because of it's the second one, right? Because I do think he taps into something where you look around and you say, oh, this theory that he's expounded, mm, ex- it right? Clicks. It, it like, I see it everywhere. Like now that I've wrapped my head around it, I, I totally see what he's talking about. Um, and, and this, I think I want to be the last thing I say here. Okay. He, he talks about this false divide that we have, right? This divide that we have in our minds between, for example, the sciences and the arts, right? Like take those two things. Or he talks about them being like between the classical understanding of the world and a romantic understanding of the world or between like a spiritual and analytical understanding of the world. Like you can kind of see this like yin-yang, okay? Binary thinking. This binary thinking. And he talks about like, hey, we tend to like group ourselves into one of these two things. Like I'm a super scientific person. I'm a really artsy person. I have a classical understanding of the world. I have a romantic understanding of the way things that work, right? And one of the things, and maybe this is obvious, like maybe this is dumb, but I do think it was a bit of a click aha moment for me. He says, look, when you look at things that we look at as really genuine quality, right? Like when you look at um, something that somebody writes, there is an art to it, but there also is a scientific craft to the way that it's composed. When you look at a beautiful painting, like there's obviously an art to it, but there's also like a, a like a classical composition method that like allows for that art. So he writes this book and we talk about this like occurring at a, like at a zeitgeist, right? Or like being this culture bear. When he writes this book, it's at the tail end of the 60s. He publishes it. He writes it in like um, like 1968, 1969, 1970. He publishes it in 74. For the entire decade of the 60s, the counterculture was like lashing out against technology, lashing out against like mechanization, lashing out against, I mean, a lot of different things, but lashing out mm-hmm. against like, like that world. One of the big things that he says in this book is he says, look- Like that stuff, if you like have this balanced view of the world, if you have this like yin yang view view of the world, right, that can be beautiful. And he's got a great line in there where he says, look, if you're looking for the Buddha, you don't have to go to the top of a mountain to find him. Like the Buddha resides just as comfortably in the circuits in the circuits of a computer or the gears of a cycle transmission as he does on the top of a mountain or the petals of a flower. And I really love that idea. And I think that's the idea that was so resonant with like this group of people, like so resonant with the world that like that was at the tail end of the 60s, like in the mid 70s and like who had rejected, rejected, rejected. And now here they had something that like they could kind of embrace, right? Like a way that they could embrace technology. 
This is really interesting. So to, to bring in some real philosophy, um, mm-hmm. the well-known philosopher Immanuel Kant, who has got mm-hmm. he's got plenty of problems. He wasn't uh, like he people people don't always like he's he's not perfect, but right. He Big stated, fan of the show. He stated some like key ideas usefully. He has the idea of the dialectic where yeah. um, you have one force, the thesis, and you have an, an opposing force, the antithesis, and then the 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 force that or the, the solution that brings resolution to this strife of thesis and antithesis is the synthesis where things come yeah. together. So balance is not this fellow's like cool. I'm glad he figured it out, but also like folks have been talking about this for a long time. If if there is a antith an antithetical kind of sixties counterculture lashing out, it makes sense that he would come forward with something like synthesis that says, "Listen, why can't we just all get along, balance instead of uh, extremes, and this is productive?" That's really fascinating. Cool. I I I can definitely grasp all that in this um, <laughs> in this hour. Got it. Definitely got that, Joe. So thank you for sharing that with us. Anytime, guys. Joe, you lose. I like the idea of (sighs) a book taking forever to just talk about nothing. (laughs) Um, It's 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 like Seinfeld. It's it's uh, I'm getting flashbacks to maybe this conversation happening before, but I I mm. think books about nothing have won before, and they yep, will continue to win again. It's um, always fun to see what Nick likes. Any any distraction um, to distract me from the things I'm doing through a story about the things I'm doing, I'm in. That seems like a good use of my time. So, um, congratulations. Ian. Congratulations, Ian. Uh, Lidheads, if you want to help the show, the best thing that you can do is leave a review on the podcast player of your choice. But honestly, the best, best thing you can do is suggest us a book, suggest us a theme. You can do that at youdon'tknowlitpodcast.com. Um, there's a form there. You will figure it out. You are digital natives. Yeah. Um, the other thing you can do is, hey, Lidheads, tell a friend. Tell right? a like, friend. Like, tell, tell a nerdy friend. Right. Tell a nerdy friend about our little book podcast. Yeah. So the benefit of the benefit of winning this week is now you guys can like there's a really good pithy quote towards the end of this that I'm going to read. And you can use that and say, as Marcel Proust once said, so benefit all around. So this is a quote uh, from this is a section from my 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 novel Swan's Way. um, And it's just it's a, a very nice kind of neat portrait of a character because this is one of the big draws of this book it's the characters so this is a a portrait of a character and i'm just going to read uh kind of kind of how he's described and just just bask in these details because proust as i say does really really good job with details on our way home from mass we would often greet monsieur le grandin who detained in paris by his professional duties as an engineer could only except in the regular holiday seasons, visit his home at Cambrai between Saturday evenings and Monday mornings. He was one of that class of men who, 
apart from a scientific career in which they may well have proved brilliantly successful, have acquired an entirely different kind of culture, literary or artistic, of which they make no use in the specialized work of their profession, but by which their conversation profits. More literary than many men of letters, we were not aware at this period that Monsieur Legrandin had a distinct reputation as a writer, and so were greatly astonished to find that a well-known composer had set some verses of his to music. Endowed with a greater ease in execution than many painters, they imagine that the life they are obliged to lead is not that for which they are really fitted. And they bring to their regular occupations either a fantastic indifference or a sustained and lofty application, scornful, bitter, and conscientious. Tall, with a good figure, a fine, thoughtful face, drooping fair moustaches, a look of disillusionment in his blue eyes, an almost exaggerated refinement of courtesy. A talker such as we had never heard, he was in the sight of my family who never ceased to quote him as an example, the very pattern of a gentleman who took life in the noblest and most delicate manner. My grandmother alone found fault with him for speaking a little too well, a little too much like a book, for not using a vocabulary as natural as his loosely knotted Lavalier neckties his short, straight, almost schoolboyish coat. She was astonished, too, at the furious invective which he was always launching at the aristocracy, at fashionable life and snobbishness. Undoubtedly, he would say, the sin of which St. Paul is thinking when he speaks of the sin for which there is no forgiveness. Well met, my friends, he would say, as he came toward us. You are lucky to spend so much time here. Tomorrow I have to go back to Paris to squeeze back into my niche. Oh, I admit, he went on, with his own peculiar smile, gently ironical, disillusioned and vague. I have every useless thing in the world in my house there. The only thing wanting is the necessary thing. A great patch of open sky like this. Always try to keep a patch of sky above your life, little boy, he added, turning to me. You have a soul in you of rare quality, an artist's nature. Never let it starve for lack of what it needs. Ooh, that was rough. You gotta be in the right mood, don't you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Some books are like that. You just gotta be in the right mood. Nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with that. 